You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first we'll start with breaking news in the Okanagan. Emergency crews are on the scene in West Kelowna after a small plane crashed into Okanagan Lake. It's believed to be an ultralight aircraft that came down just before 5 o'clock in the Sunnyside area of West Kelowna. Emergency crews from West Kelowna and Peachland were called to the scene. Now, the good news here is the two men on board have been rescued and have managed to walk to the ambulance before being taken to hospital. There's no word yet on what caused this crash. Now, Metro Vancouver Transit Police need your help identifying a man who allegedly exposed himself to a woman on SkyTrain. Sarah McDonald joins us with more on this one. The, de de the details, Sarah, are disturbing in this one. Well, disturbing and unsettling for transit riders and the public, Sophie, the nature of this incident was remarkably brazen. Transit police call the actions of the suspect in this case highly concerning. Tonight, they are asking for the public's help in tracking him down. This incident occurred on April 29th. Transit police say it started with that male SkyTrain passenger, now a suspect, looming uncomfortably close to a female who was seated on board the train. Sure enough, the gut instinct of the alleged victim in this case was bang on. She quickly realized the man was exposing his erect genitals to her over the waistband of his pants just centimeters from his her face so close and for such an extended period of time that she was actually able to take a picture of the suspect's genitalia and provide it to police the suspect in this case eventually left the train here at Main Street SkyTrain station but transit police believe he had been riding the SkyTrains between Main Street and Edmonds station for roughly an hour prior to ex now, we do have a detailed description and high-quality photos of the suspect in this case. He is described as being in his mid-20s or early 30s, standing roughly 5 foot 9 tall with a slim-billed brown hair, brown eyes, and a patchy goatee. On the day of the incident, he was seen wearing glasses, a black hoodie, those black sweatpants, large white headphones, and carrying a black and gray backpack. She was able to take a photo of the man's genitals, which she actually um, sent to transit police. And when it was safe, she removed, her from the, removed herself from that situation and was then able to contact transit police. The man then got off the, the train at Main Street SkyTrain station. The nature of this one really stands out. Uh, the fact that he was standing in such close proximity, it, uh, it speaks to, to his predatory actions. It certainly stands out, and needless to say, guys, this is not an incident transit police nor the public want to see repeated. Anyone with information on that suspect in this case or who may have had a similar disturbing incident themselves on the SkyTrain in recent months is asked to contact transit police. All right, thanks for that, Sarah McDonald, reporting from the Broadway SkyTrain station. Thank you, Sarah. Meantime, RCMP and Ashcroft want to hear from witnesses to an assault involving a four-year-old. It happened during a youth soccer tournament at the Ashcroft Hub Park on Saturday. A witness told police they saw four children pushing and shoving the victim, and when they intervened, the kids scattered. RCMP believe the group of children involved were between the ages of four and 12 years old. The victim was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. We're hearing through social media that there's a lot of allegations and people saying what they heard or they saw. None of those people have come forward to the police. We would seek those people to come forward and tell us what they saw so that we can get a big, better picture of what occurred and what the circumstances were.
Some more breaking news for you now and another new wildfire near homes in B.C. The Coastal Fire Center confirms that a fire has broken out at Pender Harbor. As you can see, it's uh, oh, we'll get to the picture a little bit later in the newscast. We don't have it available right now. Uh, it is small at this point, but it is near some homes. Crews have been dispatched, but they are not yet on scene. We'll keep you updated on that one as it develops. Also, fire crews back tackling the Strip Creek wildfire near Lions Bay today. The fire broke out early Sunday morning, causing delays along the Sea to Sky and some power outages in the area. Catherine Urquhart has more on the firefight and why there's a debate as to what caused this fire. It was a non-stop aerial attack as two helicopters bucketed the Strip Creek fire for several hours. Also battling the three-hectare wildfire north of Horseshoe Bay, 29 firefighters, they faced a number of challenges. Despite the really difficult conditions they've been facing on very steep ground and rolling debris, they were able to get all the way around the fire um, and they're pretty confident that it, uh, it's going to stay where it is now. The work that they're doing is basically digging right down to mineral soil, so they have to dig everything down and out that could burn possibly, get rid of it, and then cool down any hot spots they find. The fire started about 3 a.m. Sunday. At times, flames burned right alongside the Sea to Sky Highway, leading to traffic delays. BC wildfire officials said they suspected a hydro power line may have sparked it. At this point, there's no suggestion that BC Hydro Equipment is responsible for starting that fire. We're constantly monitoring our right-of-ways throughout the province for hazards that could result in uh, fires such as trees falling on wires. We work with other agencies, we work with our own in-house team of meteorologists to assess fire risk and we also patrol the lines to ensure that there's no hazards that could uh, disrupt the lines and potentially cause fires. Higher humidity and cooler temperatures helped, allowing crews to get closer to the flames. By Monday afternoon, the blaze was 100% contained. A number of crews will remain on scene, ensuring that this wildfire is out for good. Now, if you're heading up this way, you'll want to be prepared for possible delays. A section of the highway is closed for firefighting crews, and that means just one lane north and one lane south for several kilometers between Horseshoe Bay and Lions Bay. Right now, though, traffic is looking good, just minor delays. Back to you. All right, good news so far. Thanks very much, Catherine. Well, let a lot of people. I was out in the rain last night, but it really isn't enough, is it? Christy Gordon joins us now with what we can expect weather-wise and whether that's going to help firefighters or not. Yeah, so a little more cloud cooler conditions, a few showers, but it really hasn't changed much here across the South Coast in terms of that fire danger rating. Look at it at a high to extreme level really all across the South Coast. We've seen some change in the interior, but overall drought conditions right across southern BC are at a three level, which is very dry, so very concerning and uh, there is some good news in sight. We've got this mass. It's what we call an upper-level low sitting offshore, giving us hope. Uh, but this doesn't bring in a ton of rain. It brings in more cloud and unsettled conditions, so showers potentially. When will it do that? Well, not tomorrow. It's going to stay offshore tomorrow. But Wednesday into Thursday and Friday, it crosses the south coast. So that is some good news. We'll be tracking that very closely. All right, sounds good. We'll check in later on the news hour too, Christy. 
Now, it's a popular topic of conversation in Metro Vancouver. Real estate, is it a seller's market, a buyer's market? Just what does the future hold? Tonight, in part one of our series, Gimme Shelter, we take a look at where the market is right now. Sarah McDonald has a look at how much sales have lagged and who's been hit the hardest. In 2016, the process of buying and selling real estate in Metro Vancouver's frenzied market looked largely like this. Well, we've been on such a ride over the last few years. How times have changed. Prices are now kind of back to where they were around, say, mid-2015. That once boiling hot market has cooled to lukewarm at best. Listings that would have once fueled fierce bidding wars left lingering for months. With asking prices in some cases dramatically below assessed values and a bid to attract buyers. Relisted and reduced by seven figures in some cases in the detached sector in Vancouver, including its once red hot west side. Now you're talking about two and a half, three million, four million dollar homes uh, that are sort of left to a more local market. And it's a similar story further east. Detached properties selling at a loss in the Tri-Cities, going for well below assessed value right across the region, with attached units and townhomes following suit. It makes for huge uncertainty over what real estate is worth. And those plunging prices are paired with a tangible drop in buyers. Last month, the first all year to mark more than 2,000 home sales. But still, those more than 2,600 transactions mark a nearly 7% decrease from this time last year. We've had such a strong real estate market here over the last decade, um, so it was bound to slow down. And it spiraled to a snail's pace in Greater Vancouver, sales dropping more than a third to a nearly two-decade low in all sectors in a 12-month period. Same story in the Fraser Valley. Townhouses, condos and single-family homes all down by well over a quarter and only sliding further this year. We're five months in, it's pretty much at like 30-year lows. So I think right now is the big thing is just trying to get sellers to come to grips sort of with the changing market reality. And inventory only continues to accumulate as buyers and sellers sit on the sidelines, opting out for now of making any moves in a slumping market. Sarah McDonald, Global News. It really was a crisis. That's not too strong a word to describe the challenges that we are facing in housing. Tomorrow on the News Hour, the government regulations brought in to level the playing field and the impact they're having on the market. And where do short term rentals play in all of this? Six months ago, the province and Airbnb worked out a deal for the website to start collecting tax on the rentals. And tonight we're getting our first glimpse of just how much provincial revenue has rolled in and why, if other short-term rental websites start playing along, there could be even more. Every time guests book a stay with an Airbnb operator in British Columbia, the province collects 8% in sales tax. The PST revenues after just six months, beating all expectations. Our platform's popular, it's growing, people are continuing to choose to use our platform as a way to stay and visit uh, British Columbia. Now it's time to book. Between October 2018 and April 1st, 2019, Airbnb collected $14 million in PST and $4 million in municipal and regional taxes. Our expectation was that we'd be collecting around $16 million in PST for the first 12 months. So for us to contribute $14, you know, $14 million in the first six is, is really great. The provincial revenues to be directed towards affordable housing. We are spending more than we bring in uh, in affordable housing, so those dollars will certainly be helping with our major plan. 
Airbnb says it currently has 6,000 listings in Vancouver, renting a median of 85 nights a year. One city councillor says given the cash they're generating, it's time to consider assessing Airbnb properties at a split residential and commercial tax rate. And that could actually bring some significant revenue directly to the city of Vancouver to fund things like sidewalks and parks and childcare and all those kind of things, and maybe even affordable housing, which we're losing at a rapid rate. Fry wants the Union of BC Municipalities to discuss the prospect this fall, but Airbnb says commercial taxation will only drive rentals underground. Instead, the company wants its competition, other online platforms, to pay up. We're continuing those discussions to make sure that all vacation rental companies come to the table and pay their fair share. It's what British Columbians expect. Tanya Beja, Global News. Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramov is giving up his salary while he's on leave dealing with sexual assault allegations. Vagramov announced the decision in a letter to councillors today. He's denied the allegations, which date back to April 2015 when he was a city councillor. Vagramov says he plans to fight the allegations in court and sue his accuser for defamation. He is due back in court on July 15th. A war of words in Surrey today as RCMP hoisted a pride flag. Protests and cheers outside the detachment as Mounties raised a pride flag to show support for the LGBTQ2 community. This is the first time the pride flag has been raised at the Surrey RCMP detachment. The protesters, who vehemently opposed SOGI 123 in public schools, had sent a warning to Surrey RCMP ahead of the pride flag raising. Officers say while they respect the group's right to demonstrate, that wasn't going to get in the way of marking pride. RCMP should remain neutral and not um, represent any one political side. All of us want to see people tolerated and uh, treated respectfully, but not everybody agrees with the political movement of the pride flag and what it represents. It's important to, to come and, and support these types of uh, um, pride events because it's once a year where we get to show that there is a lot of work to still be done. Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West is blasting the Union of BC Municipalities for doing business with the Chinese government. West is calling for the UBCM to cut ties with China while it's involved in events hostile to our country. Richard Zussman has more on the debate and how the UBCM defends its decision. It's an annual affair where municipal politicians gather to debate, listen and eat and drink. But the Union of BC Municipalities Conference is getting criticized by one mayor over who pays for that food and drink. It's just so irresponsible for the UBCM to take cash. They take a check from the government of China in exchange for providing access to mayors and city councillors. The UBCM takes $6,000 a year from the Chinese consulate in Vancouver to be in the event's program. They also host a reception with free food and drink paid for by China. West sending this letter recently, raising concerns about the actions of the foreign power, especially when it comes to the detention of Michael Corvig and Michael Spaver. We currently have two of our fellow Canadian citizens rotting in a Chinese prison for no reason. China just arbitrarily detained them. UBCM is defending the event adding that if the federal government thought cancelling it would make a difference, then they would change things. If Foreign Affairs was to tell us that, that 
boycotting China at the UBCM reception was the fastest way to release Canadians imprisoned abroad, we would do it in a second. The Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Fortis, BC, QP, even the BC government host receptions at UBCM. The Chinese reception seen as important because of the importance of China on BC's economy. They're our biggest trading, second biggest trading partner. This is about creating economic development opportunities for other municipalities across British Columbia beyond just the lower mainland. West says since he started his criticism, he's been asked to tone it down. Since I've been speaking out, a message has been sent to me that, oh, you could be putting at risk support for your community. I think that that's really concerning. West stopping short of calling the message a threat, adding he wouldn't say who sent him that message. Richard Zussman, Global News. Right now, though, there's some good news tonight concerning what to expect for those expecting in Chilliwack. A closure of the hospital maternity ward is now down to weeks instead of months. Grace Key explains what happened and the problems that still need to be solved. Just a little dear. Dana Drope had an emergency C-section with her first baby and then a scheduled one at 38 weeks with Bonnie. She couldn't imagine going somewhere other than Chilliwack General Hospital. When you're at that stage, it's very hectic trying to deal with older siblings and babysitters and family members. And so having to have a baby outside of town would definitely cause a lot of chaos. We want it to be the best possible experience for both you and your family. Women hoping to give birth at Chilliwack General are being asked to go to Abbotsford Regional instead for the next two weeks, shortened from the original 15 weeks. With three obstetricians at the hospital, one was on leave and the other had health concerns that have since improved. This is not a decision that we took lightly, but really it's coming from uh, to make this as safe as possible. We want women to be able to uh, labor and deliver their babies in a in a very safe setting, and this is the best option. We're like a little little sleeping cousin out, out here in the valley, and 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 we're getting you know, like it almost feels like we're getting kicked to the curb out here. The Chilliwack mayor says this isn't just a doctor shortage issue, but there's also a need to upgrade facilities. We are a fast-growing community, and and and. We need an updated maternity ward to to take care of the needs of the folks in the valley. Chilliwack General serves patients all the way to Boston Bar. To meet the growing needs of the community, the hospital has posted a position for a fourth obstetrician just last week. It's stressful for any new mother, for anybody that's going through this situation. It's a headache. Full maternity services will resume on July 9th at Chilliwack General Hospital. Grace Key, Global News. Keep it or scrap it? The province wants your input on daylight saving time. Now that the western U.S. is thinking about making daylight saving time permanent, the Premier wants British Columbians to consider the options as well. Starting today through July 19th, feedback is being collected via an online survey. The government says it will use that to help decide the next steps. When you look at business connections that people have, it can't be something that a jurisdiction can go it alone. It needs to be something that other jurisdictions are looking at. Quick update for you now on that breaking news of a new wildfire on the Sunshine Coast. Take a look at this video. It was just sent in by global viewer Marie Bernadette Fruin. It's a fire near Pender Harbor. The Coastal Fire Center is confirming their crews are on the scene. The fire does appear to be near some homes, but no word on whether they're threatened at this point. We will keep you updated as more details come in. 
Uh, in the meantime, if you've been looking at buying an electric vehicle and you want to take advantage of the B.C. government rebates, the game has changed a little. Due to high demand, the B.C. government has had to claw back the incentives it has been offering. Aaron MacArthur has the reaction. So many people have taken advantage of incentives to buy electric vehicles. The government has been forced to put the brakes on. Well, we'd like to have had a little more notice, I think, uh, as, as consumers would have, but we recognize, you know, government, when you do these things, you have to kind of move quickly. And Over the weekend, the NDP sent out a press release that announced the benefit to consumers would shrink by two grand. The reason? It's been too popular. 6,000 applications just this year. It's great that people are excited about this program. We want to be able to make sure that we maintain that excitement. And so that means we have to do what it takes to keep the program going into the future. And we think that we've done that. The slash in the rebate program comes just months after the government announced only electric vehicles will be sold in B.C. by 2040. The opposition Liberals accused the NDP of not walking the walk on green initiatives. To say one day that, hey, we want everybody in electric vehicle, and then just weeks later, reduce the subsidy in a significant way. It tells you that this government is just sort of making it up as they go along. As part of the new reduced incentive, vehicles over $55,000 will be excluded, the threshold matching the federal government program. As well, an extra $26.5 million will be pushed into the pot to fund new buyers through the end of the year. I think it's a victim of its own success. I mean, government's been doing this for eight years uh, under various forms. And, and since May 1st, when the federal government sort of added its level of $5,000, that really sort of kick-started a lot of activity. Buyers who had deals locked down before June 22nd will still qualify for the full amount. New buyers still have access to $8,000 in rebates. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, if you are heading out on the open road this summer and towing a trailer, you might have to upgrade your driver's license. That's right. One BC couple learned that the hard way. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, has the story for us now. Anne? Mm-hmm. Can really throw a wrench into travel plans. Right. Thanks, Chris. Drivers who have an RV trailer over 4,600 kilograms must have what's called a Code 7 house trailer endorsement. If you don't have it, you won't be properly insured. That's what happened to a BC couple who were forced to leave their trailer behind in the U.S. Snowbirds Kathy Backman and Steve Turner are relieved to have their fifth-wheel trailer back home in B.C. They were forced to leave it behind in Arizona after they made a surprising discovery. Sitting around a campfire, a uh, friend Kenny said, how'd I make out taking the test for that new trailer? And I said, pardon? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. When they called ICBC, they discovered they needed a Code 7 house trailer endorsement, an ICBC safety requirement for any fully loaded recreational house trailer that weighs 4,600 kilograms or more. If you don't have it, drivers could be in breach of their insurance in the event of a crash. Had something happened, we would not have had liability insurance coverage. Steve and Kathy decided it was best to store their trailer in Arizona and return home to get the necessary testing in B.C. A frustrating predicament because the couple says no one told them about the Code 7 requirement at the time they purchased the trailer. When we were buying a new trailer, you know, uh, a representative from ICBC, uh, we sat with her, gave her our driver's license, and she filled out the registration with the weight on it she looked straight at our driver's license and never said anything. And I feel that is also 
when we should have been notified right there by that ICBC representative. ICBC told Consumer Matters it's the responsibility of each individual to ensure they have the appropriate license for the vehicle they're driving and its use. And vehicle dealers aren't required to provide advice on licensing requirements. You're pulling a vehicle down a public road. you got to understand how it's going to function and, and function safely. At Valley Driving School, the company offers training for the Code 7 requirement. You have to take a knowledge test, uh, which you would have to go down to an ICBC uh, facility. Basically, you're getting a learner's license, uh, and, and then you'll do a, a practical road test with a pre-trip inspection. Back in Blind Bay, after hearing their story, the company that sold Kathy and Steve their trailer apologized to them and agreed to transport it back home from Arizona. Still, it's an ordeal they hope others can avoid. We just want to make sure that anybody else out there in the same situation that we found ourselves in, they have an opportunity to protect themselves. Now, ICBC also says anyone who rents a fifth wheel or a travel trailer, which exceeds 4,600 kilograms when loaded, will also be required to have an endorsement seven. If the driver holds an out-of-province driver's license, at a minimum, they'll still need to hold a license that is equivalent to BC's endorsement seven. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Some comfort is coming for hundreds of children detained during America's crackdown on illegal immigration. Reports exposed how the children were housed in a cramped facility in Texas without access to soap or toothbrushes and with inadequate food and care. One Texas congresswoman says it amounted to humanitarian abuse. Today, the children, many of them sick and infested with lice, have been moved to a different facility near El Paso, one with showers, medical services, and air conditioning. Well, after spending more than six months in space, Canadian astronaut David Saint-Jacques is on his way back to Earth at this hour, scheduled to touch down less than two hours from now. Separation is confirmed. Alexei, Nick. And physical separation confirmed. Bye-bye. See you soon, guys. A Russian Soyuz capsule separated from the International Space Station late this afternoon, carrying Saint-Jacques on the right, a Russian cosmonaut and a NASA astronaut. The trip home takes six and a half hours. They're expected to land in Kazakhstan just before 8 p.m. our time. Once Saint-Jacques and his fellow team members are back on Earth, they will be facing a long recovery period. On the one hand, I have learned to fly. So I've learned to make flips and I can be upside down. It doesn't bother me anymore. That's because I basically lost all sense of gravity. I've lost all sense of balance. When I come back to Earth, I'm going to need to learn to walk again. One doctor compares it to spending six months in bed without moving. Saint-Jacques set a Canadian record, spending 205 consecutive days in space. He also became the fourth Canadian to take part in a spacewalk and used the Canada arm to capture an unmanned cargo capsule. A fascinating story out of Ontario today where DNA testing has revealed a unique new hybrid animal. The testing was done on an unusual skull found 26 years ago. It was determined that 50% of the DNA from the adult male is from a narwhal and 50% is from a beluga. Scientists say intermingling between species is not unheard of, but the odds were definitely against this particular coupling. It happens more often than you would think in cetaceans. So in whales and dolphins, there's probably about 20 or so known hybrids that uh, that can occur 
Uh, but this is the only one we know of with belugas and narwhals. And it, it might be very, very rare because these animals are migratory. They move around a lot. And there's not a lot of places in the world where they occur at the same time during mating season. The results are part of a larger study on Arctic species, including bowhead whales and polar bears. The B.C. Court of Appeal has ruled that Canada's solitary confinement laws are unconstitutional. The court upheld a 2018 B.C. Supreme Court decision ruling against indefinite solitary confinement. But for now, solitary confinement remains legal because the Supreme Court of Canada has granted a stay. Ottawa gets more time to fix the problems that prompted lower courts to deem the current system unconstitutional. Critics say it's time the practice ended completely. Two members of the famous Flying Walenda family walk a high wire 25 stories above Times Square. What makes this an even more amazing accomplishment for one of them coming up right after the weather? Oh my goodness. Exactly. Exactly, Christy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, it's dry out there, everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. so we did see some rain last night. I certainly woke up to uh, my uh, garden being wet this morning. I was so thankful for that, but it's not enough, everyone. It's very, very dry out there. We turned out uh, with uh, some nice blue sky there today, and we warmed up to just slightly below seasonal temperatures, 19, 20 degrees across the lower mainland, and low 20s in through the interior regions as well. These are two to three degrees below seasonal. Unsettled weather today, so that is going to settle down overnight. Uh, you should wake up to mostly sunny skies, especially across the south coast. We'll see that, but in the afternoon, we'll see that development again, so spotty showers and a risk of thunderstorms. But for the south coast, that generally means the lower mainland is dry. Majority of the action would be along the mountains in the East Fraser Valley and in parts of Vancouver Island as well. So a similar day again tomorrow is expected. And then we're watching that big upper level low. Uh, that's sitting offshore. That's our hope for rain here across the south coast. As I showed you earlier, the fire danger rating across the south coast is moderate to high. And this is going to shift across our region Wednesday, Thursday, and into Friday. I think the two wettest days would be Thursday, Friday. But I've put in the rain forecast through until the end of the day Saturday. And this doesn't amount to much. We're talking about 20 millimeters. So we're hoping for more moisture than that. But we'll watch. This type of a scenario doesn't bring a lot of rain. There's your tomorrow, everyone. So a chance of showers, a risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon. And that's all the case right across the province, really, with temperatures just slightly below seasonal. Uh, south Coast, East Fraser Valley, Squamish could see those thunder showers as well. But it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday that we're really hoping for that rain. It will be cooler, but it looks like we rebound for everyone's long weekend. And I'll leave you with this shot from Kawaka Lake near Hope. Uh, tadpoles coming out. Apparently you can walk right in them and they swim all around you here. Mm. I see them in there, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. well, thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. Oh, there they are. Okay, two members of the famous Walenda family brought New York's bustling Times Square to a near standstill today. Seventh-generation acrobat Nick Walenda crossed a tightrope between skyscrapers 25 stories above ground. Even more remarkably, he was joined by his sister, Liana, who was making her return to the ropes after a fall two years ago that broke nearly every bone in her face. The two started from opposite ends of the 396-meter wire, crossing each other in the middle. Liana sitting on the wire and Nick stepping over her. Despite her near-death experience from the earlier fall, Liana says the high wire is where she belongs.
I would say the biggest surprise was how much at home I was. I was worried that I was going to be more nervous. Um, but, but what I said is real. The fear really is gone. I had, I had gotten fear kind of gripped me for a little bit after the accident, and uh, it's gone. I was home. The two were wearing tethered safety harnesses. Those are required by the city of New York in case of a fall. For their next event, the Walendas say they will do a tightrope walk over a live volcano. No way to guarantee the timing of a eruption, I don't That's a good think. Point. But no. Wish them luck. I'm just surprised that there's been enough high wire acts that New York actually has a law. That's about right. high wire acts. I wonder if we have one in Vancouver. Okay. okay. Lots of discussion about oh, Mr. Miller. There'll be more discussion, too, if the uh, Canucks sign Tyler Myers, who they're very interested in. But that's for another day. Uh, I want to say right now, right off the bat, I like the acquisition, acquisition make that of J.T. Miller on Saturday to a point. He's a solid player. He's pretty much a swift army knife as a forward. But the price tag which included a first-round draft choice, was way too high. I like Volkswagens, but I wouldn't pay a Maserati price to get one. He will likely be part of one of the first two lines. He can play center or he can play wing. But in Vancouver, he'll likely be a winger to either Pedersen or Horvat. And during a conference call today, J.T. Miller said he would love to play in more of a scoring role with the Canucks. Um, you know, if I was given that opportunity, obviously I think using my size to get pucks back for them and then try to get to the net and create as much room as possible. I uh, had experience with playing in lines one through four for, you know, the Rangers and Tampa. And, you know, I think that, you know, one of the strong suits of my game is I can play with anybody on any line. And I think that this is another example of that if I, those two are the ones I'll be playing with that, you know, I'm, it sounds like a great fit. So I'm obviously really excited to get there and meet them and, Obviously, the rest of the group. Round of 16, lose and you're out, win, you stay in. Canada, Sweden at the Women's World Cup. Second half, Christine Sinclair, free kick. No, just misses. Counterattack by the Swedes. Stina Blackstenius. Here comes. Will get this pass. Just gets to it. Back of the net. One nothing for the Swedes. But Canada's pressuring. And they catch a break here. This is a handball. Desiree Scott shot right off the arm. They check VAR. Yes. Christine Sinclair asked Janine Becky if she wants to take it. Becky says yes, but the Swedish keeper says no. Great save by Hedvig Lindahl. That keeps it 1-0. Again, that was not a coach's decision. The players made that decision. Christine Sinclair gave that and you can see the agony in the, in the players on the bench and Canada is out one nothing to Sweden. The Americans won today against Spain 2-1 so they move on. Uh, the BC Lions are 0-2 the start of the season and that's well it's not awful it's not disastrous the great thing about the CFL is six of the nine teams make the playoffs so it's kind of like that old adage about a group of people being chased by a bear you don't have to run faster than the whole group just run faster than a couple of people and you'll probably survive. Yes, the Lions came apart in the second half against Edmonton just like they did in the second half of their season opener against Winnipeg. And here's a weird stat. The Lions have been outscored 19-6 in the second half in both of their games so far this season. But despite that, there is no freaking out. 
at the lion's den. There's little things. It's little things. There's nothing huge that's just like, man, we need to replace so-and-so or something needs to be fixed. It's just little things that we need to tweak, and we're going to be in good position. you got to remember, we've only had these guys for just two weeks of the season, three weeks of training camp, so a little over a month when you're trying to implement stuff that took other guys in years to, to understand and to get that understanding of it. And because it's the CFL where missing the playoffs is harder than making the playoffs, the Lions still have time to get it together and take a serious run at the postseason. I've seen teams, uh, I mean, go two and seven, and I, I've I've been two and seven in Montreal and made the playoffs, and and we and we felt like we had a great chance to win the Grey Cups. I told my guys, I'm like, well, every year a team has been zero and two is in the finals, you know. So you have to understand it from that aspect, and I mean, even hearing even here, they were zero and five and won the Grey Cup and ran off 11, 12 straight. So the bottom line is, a winless start to the season isn't terrible, unless of course it goes on too long. And what was speculated during the NBA playoffs is now official. Toronto Raptors head coach Nick Nurse will be Canada's head coach for the Basketball World Cup in September, where the top seven teams will qualify for the 2020 Olympics. Canada has a good chance to qualify if all of our best players play. We'd have an even better chance if Nick Nurse could convince Kawhi Leonard to become a Canadian citizen. And Canada's Bianca Andreescu will not play at Wimbledon, which starts next Monday. She needs more time to recover from a shoulder injury. That shoulder injury forced her out of the French Open after she had won her first round match there. Okay, I have to show you this from the weekend. Astros, two errors on the same play. Jake Marisnik drops the ball, and then Josh Reddick, I don't know what was up with that. It's like he had grease on his hands. He throws the ball backwards. Watch again, Reddick. I'll tell you something, if you were in a foxhole and Josh Reddick was the guy throwing the grenade, I wouldn't like your chances of survival. (laughs) Man, oh man. (laughs) You don't see that very often. Coming up on ET Canada, all your highlights from the BET Awards and Toronto's Pride Parade. Plus, Jake Gyllenhaal previews Spider-Man Far From Home. It's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you, Carlos. Chris is going to get a pink suit. I like it. I don't know. It It takes a strong man to pull that off. You're strong. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. A very lucky cat is recovering in a Minnesota animal hospital tonight. Felix let his curiosity get the better of him as his owner did laundry. And it nearly cost him his life. Love you, Felix. He's our little miracle kitty, so just praying for a full recovery. Trying to recover from a ride that nobody would take on purpose. Stephanie was putting laundry in her high-efficiency front-loading washer, and Felix must have jumped in when she left briefly to grab some more clothes. One godsend is it was on express wash. She's still traumatized by what she discovered at the end of that 45-minute cycle. Then heard a little meow. And I looked around because I'm so used to them, you know, being around me. And all of a sudden, I saw a little white um, back foot go up in the air. And I, I can't even tell you what that was like. Oh, you can't come out of here. Felix is now on oxygen support in one of the ICU units. He's a little survivor, that's for sure. And showing gradual improvement. We're not sure if he recognizes us yet, but he is with some of the vet techs and with us. He's like leaning forward and wanting to be petted. You're going to get better, okay? So that gives me some hope that he knows somebody cares. I'm so happy he's eating. 
poor little Felix. He's going to be okay. Oh, he's not out of the woods yet. They're concerned about fluid in his lungs, but hopefully he looks all right. Mm -hmm. um, Stephanie says she's heard of cats getting into washers and dryers, so she usually checks, but she missed Felix. This one time, the only time. Sneaky cat. All right, he'll never do that again. Or maybe he will. You never know. Uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So tomorrow, not so bad. We'll see a little more cloud later in the day. There is a chance we could see a few showers late tomorrow evening, more likely overnight Tuesday into our Wednesday. Perfect timing for the weekend, though, it looks like. Yes, perfect timing, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Ooh, nice Have a good shot. night.